All right, and welcome to an episode of Psychology and Stuff, the podcast of the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the Psychology Program and host. And we have a really, really special guest today, um, Diana Delbecki. How are you, Diana? I'm great. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing well. And so Diana graduated from UW-Green Bay in 2010 with a degree in psychology, and she now has a really, really uh, interesting story. And you've been working for the last, I guess I'm not totally sure how long, as a human rights advocate. But I guess let's start there. Let's start by telling people what you do now and what you've been doing for a little while. Okay. So I, um, I just got back from Europe at the end of January, Uh, got back to the Green Bay area, and um, In Europe, I was working at a refugee camp in Greece. Um, So I was directly involved with uh, mostly Syrian refugees, uh, but there were some uh, refugees from Iraq and Somalia as well. Um, But uh, coming back to the US, um, it was a bit of a hard transition, it still is. So um, kind of I've taken on this role of of going around to anybody and everybody that will allow me to kind of talk about the work that I did and the people Mm -hmm. that I met. Um, and just sort of advocating on behalf of those people uh, because their voices are being uh, muffled through a lot of the discourse that's going on in the U.S. politically. Um, so I find it to be really important to kind of bring the human side to mm-hmm. what's going on in Europe. Um, I'm more educated about what the, what's going on in Greece in particular, but um, but I still think it's really important for, for people, even in the Green Bay community, to kind of hear about uh, the people and the living conditions that are occurring across uh, Greece. Well, let, tell me a little bit more about that. So share with people some of the some of the stories and some of the things you think are important for people to know. Well, um, I think I kind of uh, start out always when I've talked to people about just pointing out that they're just like us. You know, it's a scary thing. They're on the other side of the world and, uh, you know, they may practice a different religion than us and uh, speak a different language, but uh, fundamentally we're all human beings and I think it's easier for me to maybe say that since I've interacted with them, but I want people to see the faces and to uh, mm-hmm. kind of hear the stories that I got a chance to hear. So, um, you know, I think some things that people don't really realize are that um, uh, in the Greece context, um, with the Macedonian border being shut in March of 2016, all of these refugees that were fleeing war in Syria um, are now trapped in mainland Greece. Uh, they can't go anywhere. They can't uh, progress through the asylum process. They were forced uh, to kind of apply for asylum in the Greece context, which means that families uh, are being broken apart. So a family that I met and grew really close to had uh, four sons and uh, three of those sons were uh, 18 or above, and the other one was 12. Um, and because the three sons are above the age of 18 with the asylum process the way that it is, they were all, they're all three going to be assigned to different countries, whichever countries will accept them. They cannot go as a family unit um, because that's how the asylum process works. So mm. um, I think that these types of little anecdotes and, and you know, they help debunk, I think, what a lot of people think is going on, um, which isn't true. You know, these people wanted to travel through Greece up to Europe as a family unit because they they knew how important that was. When those borders were shut, it's now splitting up entire families. So mm. these three boys could end up in three completely different countries, and the mom and the younger brother will go and be reunited with the father in, in Germany. But the three older boys don't have a chance at that. So... Mm. You think about that and you think about having to lose your your sons or your daughters or your siblings um, based on this bureaucratic process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's heartbreaking to know that they're sitting there waiting um, to basically just be handed a separation notice from their family members. So, 
To the best that you can, why is it like that? So how describes sort of the factors that, that, that make it so? Well, uh, the UNHCR, which is the body that uh, handles a mm-hmm. refugee and asylum processes, that's the basically it's the bureaucratic side of it. And that's mm-hmm. the, the rules for um, seeking asylum if you're applying for asylum in another country. So mm-hmm. had uh, the family, had the borders not been shut and families been able to migrate to Europe as a whole, they would have been eligible to apply. So had they all gotten to Germany, they would have been eligible then to apply for asylum in Germany with their father uh, or their husband, you know, that was there. Um, and they, they their whole application process would have been done solely in Germany. Right now, with the borders being cut off and everybody being stuck in Greece, how the process works is they have to apply for asylum through the Greece or the Greek system. And then the Greek system uh, vets them. And then basically, after that, it's about a year process for them to get their appointments. Uh, then their application is sent to the other European countries, and it's then up for grabs. So these people do not get to choose at all where they land. They are placed. Uh, hmm. Whether they have, uh, if they have family members like a husband or a son or, or a daughter um, in one of the other countries, they can apply for reunification. But again, the reunification only applies if they are direct family members and if they're below the age of 18. Uh, so if you think about that, like they're not right. picking where they go. They're because of them being stuck in that uh, the, in within the borders of Greece, they have to apply this way, mm-hmm. and none of them want to apply for asylum in Greece. So that's kind of the catch. Is the the way it's working is that they could essentially as- apply for asylum in Greece, meaning that they would stay then forever in Greece. Quote quotations around forever, but right. um, they would stay in Greece. But they don't want to stay in Greece. Their their goal and their objective was never to stay in Greece. It was mm. a transition through Greece to get to Europe. So okay. uh, that's kind of the, the UNHCR is the one that demands kind of the rules with it. And uh, even though they they recognize it's, it's unfair for uh, family members, of course, that are 18 and older, um, it was never supposed to be in the context of the borders being shut in, in Greece. So, mm-hmm. of course, the rules were made and it was understood that families would likely migrate together, but um, now right. they're being right. separated. So. so what was your role in a lot of this? And so I, maybe let's back up a little bit because I want to know more about how, how you got there and sure. how, how you started doing this. Because like I said, you, you, you graduated from UW-Green Bay in 2010. Mm-hmm. You actually worked at UW-Green Bay for about five years. Uh, and then you uh, went on to graduate school in gender globalization and human rights at the uh, National University of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Can, tell me more about, let's, I guess, start at why what 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 brought you to that program in the first place, and how did you decide that and, sure. and move on from there? Um, well, while I was um, a student at UW Green Bay, um, I did an internship with Future Phoenix, which I'm sure mm-hmm. everybody recognizes that name. So I got the uh, luxury of working for Future Phoenix and tutoring and mentoring in the public schools. Uh, through that process, I developed my own kind of community-based organization mm-hmm. that uh, Future Phoenix still runs. Um, and you were at. Preble, I was correct? at Preble, yep. Okay. In Preble High School. What, what, what's the name of the organization? Uh, the program was called FLIGHT. That's what I thought you were talking for, about. Yeah, okay. Future Leaders Inspired Through Empowerment. Very I long. spoke at FLIGHT. Long. That's how long you back. Did, yeah, yeah, it's like eight years ago I spoke at FLIGHT. Yeah, so it was. Saying, yeah. yeah, we had a lot of the psych department involved. Uh, a was, lot of them came and talked. And uh, it was a wonderful program. And I ran it for about six years. 
um, working in the public schools, and we had then psych interns that interned under myself and uh, Future Phoenix to run the program while I was full-time here. Uh, but it was through that and the progression of kind of working with these students in the Green Bay area uh, that I got to know a lot of undocumented students in our community. And it was kind of the first time I was exposed to that and kind of uh, it threw a lot of challenges because of my background um, was in financial aid. I was working at the university here in the financial aid department, so I was really well versed in the financial aid that the government provides and sort of opening up doors that way and pathways to education. So when I came upon these undocumented students, the, they're not eligible for that. So uh, I, it really struck my heart strings and I wanted to kind of understand it more, understand how we define legal and illegal and how, you know, something that's um, a right to somebody else, how it's not a right to other people. So I ended up finding this program in Ireland centered around uh, human rights and I quit my job in 2015 in August and I left for Ireland and I studied for the last year uh, and I did my master's dissertation on that perplexing um, situation of these undocumented students and they're, you know, questioning the right to have rights, sort of around that idea of who who has the right to have rights, aren't we all human beings and therefore have the right to have rights inherently, or, you know, how can we apply this human rights framework to uh, the, obviously, the um, hot topic of citizenship. So mm -hmm. that was what got me to Ireland, uh, and I was thrilled to have the opportunity to study and really talk in depth about the undocumented students, but of course through that you you can you take a step back and sort of understand that uh, the undocumented student population is very similar to the refugee population in that way where they're stateless and they don't have rights and they're not really under the jurisdiction of a government. Um, so after I finished my dissertation, I was already in Europe. Obviously, it was a huge topic, uh, the refugee crisis and the Syrian war. Um, and I got the opportunity to go to Greece and volunteer with a small NGO that was doing educational programming. They actually brought me in as a researcher to begin with to basically do some research around what are the opportunities for the youth in these camps um, to go on to higher education. Is there, is there something that NGOs should be doing to help get them to higher ed? Because would that be potentially a pathway out of Greece? Uh, would it, you know, how can NGOs be working with this? So they brought me in to do a bit of research on that. So I did my month work of research and then I stayed on two extra months and I implemented some of the suggestions that I had for the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, working what were with some youth. of those? So basically, what there was a lot of rumors around if these kids could get into like Oxford University or, you know, a university in Germany that people understood that that meant that was a ticket out, that they could just then go to that country and be a student. But that's not how it works. Um, so instead, kind of the suggestions I gave to the NGO was around teaching English, because we don't know where these kids are going to end up. We have no idea uh, what country will accept them. So we can't really prepare them to learn German, Finnish, Swedish, any of those languages, because we don't know what they'll need. Mm -hmm. But they'll always need English because English will at least serve them well. So we started an English uh, 
language program for the teens. Um, and also we started looking at online options. So online mm-hmm. universities, online courses. Um, and through that we developed, uh, we brought in a bit of a Wi-Fi space for the teens just to come and relax as a coffee shop feel, have a chance to kind of have some time to study. Um, we got some donations for laptops and things like that. But we knew how important it was to build a relationship with these teens. A lot of the teens are um, unaccompanied. They left Syria on their own. Their families are either behind, possibly deceased, um, possibly off in other countries. Um, but because of their age, they're not allowed to re- reunify with their family members. They're going to be forced to go wherever you know, whichever country accepts them. So we've just tried to create the space to, to build good relationships with the teens, to give them a chance to um, kind of talk about the future that they want for themselves because they're they're very left out in these camps. You know, it's a lot of attention is paid to mothers and babies, um, and but not a lot of attention is paid to the youth, especially the unaccompanied. So uh, a lot of my suggestions were around just building a space that was the teen space uh, to be able to build and foster relationships and then bringing in sort of lessons and ed- educational programming, but also building in a side to it that helped the teenagers reach out to the community at large to help foster better relationships with the community members they were living with because they, they're often getting a bad rap for kind of not having anything to do. Mm-hmm. So this is a probably a naive question, but so why was it, why Greece versus a bunch of other places? Yeah, 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 because Greece only has about 62,000 refugees compared right. to Turkey, which has over 2 million, okay. Lebanon, a million and a half, okay. uh, Jordan, over a million. Okay. Yeah, mainly it was that it's in the European Union, and I think okay. that a lot of other people that have gone to volunteer have said the same thing. It's much harder um, mm-hmm. for for someone like me to be able to go into Jordan, Lebanon, or Turkey and volunteer okay. in a camp there. Uh, language, obviously, is a huge thing because the majority language is going to be Arabic uh, okay. in those countries and the volunteers are all going to speak Arabic, whereas in Greece, you can get by with your English um, and picking up a bit of Greek and of Arabic. (laughs) Well, and also, so I was, uh, part of what I was wondering is not just why you ended up in Greece, but why Greece is the Uh, place. So why not, why is it Greece instead of uh, uh, France or uh, those other places? Well, the... I'm sure everybody's seen the boats uh, landing on the shores of the islands, uh, mm. the Greek islands, and uh, it has a lot to do with the fact that Turkey borders Syria. So okay. most of the Syrian refugees are fleeing through Turkey. Okay. Conditions in Turkey are horrendous. Their child labor is rampant. Their mm-hmm. families can't survive, uh, so all the children are kind of working in these harsh conditions and not going to school. Education's mm-hmm. not really provided. So then uh, some of them would stay in Turkey for one year, two year. Um, and then they wanted to migrate to a better life. So uh, gotcha. they paid smugglers, all of them, uh, to get on the boats at a port in Turkey and go across. Okay. It's about a four-mile um, boat ride uh, right. to the shores of, of Europe. So, yeah, that's that's why they're landing there. Uh, okay. They're going to Greece as the basically the first front door of Europe. Okay. Wow. Wow. So what is what is next for you and what are, what are some of the things you're doing right now? Because I know a lot of what you're doing has been trying to speak in, to, to uh, groups throughout Green Bay and throughout the community. Yeah, so. yeah I've been just trying to uh, have an opportunity to get out there. I was Last week I was at uh, Weston Pier Middle School, which was a really great experience to be around these 12, 13-year-olds um, and get an opportunity to kind of talk to them about what uh, a 12 or 13-year-old kid in this in these refugee camps that I met what their lives are like and what their hopes and dreams are and sort of Mm -hmm. helping them kind of understand that they're not at all different from us um 
so what I'm, I'm kind of tailoring whatever talk I'm giving to my audience, but I'm, I'm just trying to get the main message across that, um, you know, we should always be questioning why we're fearful of things, uh, very fundamentally um, questioning why we're afraid and, and seeking out more information because um, I am the first to admit that I was very afraid to go to the refugee camp. I knew it was something that I needed to do mm-hmm. um, because I, I felt very compelled to be on the right side of history at this mm-hmm. point in time. Um, but I, it didn't stop me from being afraid of going and being afraid of the unknown of people I would meet, of what it would be like. Um, and I'm so glad I did. Uh, and I'm so happy to have met the people that I met and to learn so much about Islam and so, to learn so much about Syria um, and just to make really good friends. But I think that if, you, if you're if you always going to let fear stop you, you're never going to be able to, to kind of understand the other side. And I think a lot of that is what's creating the hostility and the the situation in the global you know the the global climate right now is a lot of fear um and not enough of people really reaching out to the other side and getting to know what people are like so i'm trying to bring sort of that human side of it to Mm -hmm. green bay to show people images and to tell people real stories about the people that i met and the kindness i was shown which Mm -hmm. is a huge thing um there wasn't a day that went by that I wasn't invited into everybody's caravans. It didn't matter if they knew me, if they didn't know me. Um, I was always invited for tea. I was always invited and given everything they had. Um, and that's part of their culture. That's part of their religion. Um, so to portray this as um, a religious vendetta sort of against the against the Western population is is just completely wrong, and uh, they're they're running from terror and from the same things that we're afraid of. They're afraid mm-hmm. of as well. So, yeah, I'm just trying to get that message out there to talk to people and to give them maybe a human face from my, you know, having them see me, know that I'm from the area that I'm. I you know went to UW Green Bay. I worked here. Just having people be able to see that and relate maybe in that way um, and maybe take the risk to want to go over and help out as well because volunteers are still needed. The crisis is kind of being forgotten in a lot of this and um, there really isn't enough hands on the ground to kind of help. So it would be a great thing if there were people in the area that also wanted to kind of through these talks or through maybe hearing what I have to say are interested in, in spending three months of their life over there. Right. So do you have any um, like resources, pictures, things like online stuff that we could show listeners if they're... Absolutely. I've uh, got lots of things. <laughs> all right. So, because we, uh, we can, you know, pictures you have, we can post on the Facebook page or the blog. We can mm-hmm. kind of, to, to have people see that. But, um, so I, what we'll do is, um, along with this episode, we'll just have some other things and, and you can, uh, that are, that are listed along with it. So listeners, if you're listening, obviously you are, <laughs> um, <laughs> check out the blog and we'll have some additional resources there. And um, where, where you can learn a little bit more about what Diane has been doing and see some photos and things like that. All right, so now is the point where we talk, and I sprung this game on you, um, where we do our game, um, five questions, where we ask you five questions drawn from a hat, uh, things you like, things you don't like, that sort of thing. I hope my master's degree is preparing me for these tough questions. (laughs) It it turns out most of them are about food. Uh, So, in fact, where is your favorite place to eat? Oh, gosh. Uh, in Green Bay, my favorite place to eat is Los Bandidos. Okay. Los, Los Bandidos. There you go. <laughs> All right. I've heard their margaritas are good. Is that true? Uh, yeah. Are we allowed yeah, to yeah. say that on here? <laughs> so. All right. Here's another one about food. Uh, if you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? 
It would probably be rice. I rice. love rice. I oh, just, I, I, I do could, too. I just plain rice, rice with sriracha sauce, rice with soy sauce. I love rice. That's a, it's a good choice because there's lots of ways. To yeah, do that. you can just build on rice really well. I had another food question. I decided to throw it out because I was sick of asking food questions. <laughs> what did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be president of the United States. All right. Really, I did. Um, Very good. Yeah. Now I, I threw that out. I was like, oh. oh, no, I don't want to be that for like the last maybe five years of my life. I said that. And now I'm back on it. I'm like, no, 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 yeah. no now I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I'm glad you didn't throw it out because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I want you to. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I'm, I threw out another question about food. Well, okay. <laughs> I know. I don't know who. People when I, really want to know about my food habits. Yeah. So, um, all right. Uh, I think we're on four. I don't actually know. Uh, if you could interview one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I I would really like a chance to talk to um, the political theorist Hannah Arendt. Uh, she herself was a refugee during World War II uh, and came that. to the U.S. And oh. if anybody is fascinated by um, just the the whole conversation around right to have rights and why you know who who's deemed a human being to have rights she's mm -hmm. she's the you know critical theorist on that and she's just fascinating herself she was a german uh, german born but came to the us as a refugee and did some really great work hmm. um, she passed Eich away in this eichmann 80s. in jerusalem right is that her no okay who wrote Eichmann in Jerusalem? <laughs> no, yes, 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 that yes, yes, she did. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. She okay. went across for the um, trial, the yes. Nuremberg trials. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And yeah, it was so. I read that actually in in college, and it it was a life change. I reread it again probably fifteen years ago, but mm -hmm. it, it was one of those life changing books. Yeah, um, really, really fascinating. So, what yeah. the banality of evil? I think yes, called, that's yeah. her as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, outstanding. You know, the, she is one of my mom's favorite uh, authors as well. So she I just found be, that out. She's recently. coming back, guys. Yes. Everybody needs to know her. Yes. Very good. <laughs> she's making a comeback. <laughs> That is, a, that is a really good answer to that question. Nicely done. Uh, what is the first thing you would buy if you won the lottery? Oh, my gosh. Rice. Rice. No, <laughs> I, would, I, I would buy homes for all the people I knew in, in the camp I was at. I would love to. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you made our producer cry. Or, or at least be able to buy myself a plane ticket over there and then buy them home. Buy Something them like home. that. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, I want to end by giving you a chance to just kind of convey your message one more time. So what, what, what do you want people to know about refugees, about the work you've been doing and that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, I, want, I would encourage people to, uh, if you haven't kind of sought out some information about the refugee crisis, I would really want people to start out doing that, to, to kind of challenge themselves to learn a little bit more about it. I think in the U.S. in particular, we're kind of blind to it because it's not occurring on our shores. Uh, so Europe kind of has it on the news all the time. And I don't think we get that in the U.S. Uh, so it's easier for us to sort of push it out of our minds. But I want people um, to bring it to their minds. And I want people to be thinking about it because it is going on. And it, we are keeping people in the most inhumane conditions uh, for long periods of time. And I want people to understand that um, these people are only trying to seek safety and trying to build a life. And that at the very bottom of this, they were forced away from their homes and everything they ever knew. And all they want to do is go back. They just want to go back to Syria in peace and to live in peace and to rebuild the country that they love. Um, and I think about that and put, put ourselves into their shoes and think about if we were forced to leave our homes in the dead of night and never know if we're going to return, 
we would always long for our homes. We would always long for the the America or the Wisconsin or any, you know, that, that community and that home base. And we ourselves would always want to come back to it. Um, so it's not it's not a foreign uh, feeling, you know, to empathize with them and to, to understand that side of it, um, that we really, I want people to educate themselves on it and just start to think about them as human beings and not as the other and not as the, you know, a fearful thing. Outstanding. Well, thank you so very much. I, I can tell you honestly, one of my favorite parts about the job I have is getting to see our alumni doing the incredible things they're doing. And you are a wonderful example of that. So. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So um, I also just want to say, uh, I guess, thanks to um, Kate Farley, and our producer, and Kimberly Vlees, our, uh, our podcast artist. I'll talk about our next episode. So on the 27th of March, we are actually going to have a live episode at 1 o'clock. My producer's looking around because I hadn't told her this until <laughs> just now. Um, so we're going to have a live episode. It is, uh, it's about art therapy or pre-art therapy, the new uh, program that art and psychology have launched recently. Um, we're going to have Allison Gates from the art department, Sawa Senzaki uh, from uh, the psychology program, myself, uh, and some others. So it's going to be a treat. I don't know exactly where it's going to be yet. We're still booking a room. So um, that is all I have for today. Any final thoughts? Anything else you want to plug? I would just like to say, uh, if you're in the Green Bay area, I am going to be exhibiting uh, all of my photos and the photos of the fellow volunteers um, at the Art Garage on April 8th from yes. 7 to 9 at night. Uh, it's a free admission. Please come and just get to see the faces um, and we just have a short presentation um, a letter that was written by one of my students in the camp to the pe people of Green Bay and it will be read out loud um, and it's a very powerful thing so if people are interested and just want to come and hear that letter um, mm -hmm. and see the faces I would encourage you to stop out on April 8th. Perfect and we'll put more information on the, the Facebook page about that as well. So Perfect. Thank wonderful. You. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you.